0: What is going on? Whoa! Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> I right, give that, give it. I like what? that. Sorry, I like the energy though. That's good energy. <laughs> what
2: is going on? Wait, it's still everyone. too loud. Right, hold on. One. you got it you got it this what is going on yes coming in hot nico <laughs> almost canonites
1: back in the studio brah i know it's been far too long yes it has we tried zoom last week that was a success
2: uh, a little
1: a little uh, a little wonky something but was
2: up with my mic like i tried to hook my regular podcast mic up to it wasn't having it at all i know like, I wasn't even getting sound.
1: Yeah, that's weird. We're going to have to diagnose that.
2: Yeah. Uh, and on the laptop I was using, it has like a big sound bar, right? Okay. And no, usually, I always thought that there was like a little pinhole or something, you know, mm. that you were like, that's the mic. That's what you're talking to. Uh-uh. And you know, that little hole. I didn't see no holes. Weird. Just this huge sound bar. Like, so. Sound
1: bar on I, a laptop. Yeah. I'm not familiar with it. Was it was
2: like a Dre Beats fucking, or uh Dre Beats. Uh,
1: no cursing. No cursing. Not today. We have another. Oh, she's here. All right. We got to cut the chit chat, dude. Let's get to it.
2: Should we Should we just sit here?
1: No, no. You should introduce her or, or we can, but. um, I'm going to go th- see if she needs help. Oh, it's probably a gentlemanly thing to should do. Should we?
2: she said she had some stuff so
1: okay this will be our first break ready we'll be right back with almost wait we didn't even introduce ourselves
2: <laughs> oh yeah let's do that first <laughs> all right we said what's going on we did almost canonite yeah
1: what i'm is uh, going on?
2: nico i'm this,
1: bank this here's bank Yep. Yeah. what's uh, up everybody hello hello and this is almost canon we're gonna take a short break while we help our guest oh we should introduce her too our guest is a return champion her name is Annette Spaulding and we'd love having her here. She's back again. We're gonna go help her set up and we will be right back. And we're back, everybody, almost canon. So I just wanna ask you really quick before we get going here. Okay, what's up? The Last of Us. The T V show. Yeah. It's not even T V, it's HBO.
2: Yeah. Uh so what do you what do you think? Is Joel bad? This is is like a 10-year-old debate. Whether Joel's the enemy, whether he's the, you know... I will say this. The antagonist or the
1: protagonist. Pro. He's protagonist for sure. But morally, his actions are pretty dubious. (laughs) However, in that time frame, man, where all the... Everything's gone to heck. Yeah. It's like, what choice does he have? I will say this. That last... Montage, not even a montage, it was just a big set piece. Um, it felt more like a video game than the rest of the series has so far, because he was literally just one-shotting. Oh yeah, every. Se- well, I shouldn't spoil it. Never mind. But it felt very video gamey at that point, and not in a bad way. I thought like it, it was the whole entire thing was really well done. Do you know what happens in the second one? I don't. I don't know. I have no clue. All right, we won't. We'll leave it. Th- we'll leave it at that. I will say this. It just was released on PC today, The Last of Us Chapter 1 or Volume 1 or whatever it's oh, called. Oh, both of them? Or just one? Just the first one. Oh. And it received mostly negative reviews on Steam because apparently it was a terrible port. Ooh. I don't know what that says about the gameplay, but the port was not good, so. All right. Everybody, we would like to welcome back Annette Spaulding. She's been here before. We love her. You love her. She's back again, and we're so happy to have her back in the studio. She is, um, she's come from a ways away, and she's just getting situated right now, so, uh... I, I don't really want to get situated. Oh, no, you're... Take your time. You're, you're good.
2: All right, well, it was, well, she's getting situated. There was another thing I wanted to bring up. So, okay. remember a while ago we did an episode on sleep paralysis? I do. All right, well, there was an article in, um, God. Times Magazine by a, uh... Uh, what was he? Let's see here. I think I... Oh, should turn that on silent. He's a neuroscientist at uh, Harvard University. And they think they might have figured out what's going on and why you see ghosts. Whoa, really? During sleep paralysis, yeah.
1: I'm very interested because so you like know your, me. Your, your,
2: your sense of self is is like um detached from your body, I guess, is what your brain's thinking. So it's projecting... Yourself or something like yourself, you know, across the room or wherever. Okay. Wherever you're seeing the ghost that, you know, I guess that's pretty much all it is.
1: Now, I personally have never experienced the ghost aspect of it. But, and I have, I said this on the record the last, uh, when we recorded that episode, I am definitely, I definitely suffer from it. I've, I've, I've awoken with that, uh, that horrible strangling sensation, maybe once, twice a month. I guess ever since I was a teenager, right. but never have I seen ghosts or anything. It's really just been a sense of uh, like I f- like I'm awake, but feeling like my life is about to literally about to end. It's it's really terrifying,
2: right? And that strangling feeling they this this guy what was it? His, I wrote his name down. Let's see here. Uh, Balen uh he they they say that strangling sensation and then the the you know the old hag Mm. So what they used to call old hag syndrome that old hag that you feel on on top of yourself is is your brain going like why is this why am i feeling like i'm being strangled all of a sudden it must be because you know there's
1: it's projecting someone on top of me yeah okay
2: and then you, you 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 hallucinate you know it's pretty much a Hallucination created by your brain.
1: It's still in the dream time, right? That, that happens, yeah,
2: because you're dreaming. I but. guess
1: I should consider myself lucky then that I never get that aspect of it. You know, with the the ghost or the old hag syndrome or any of that. It's just just the physical sensation. But that's
3: bad enough. That's still pretty terrifying. Yeah. All right. All right, you guys. <laughs> you are into the most incredible subjects. Oh, what you're you. talking about right now, I experienced once in my life when I was a child, about five years old and I'll never forget it, but mm. my daughter, she had it a lot. And that's amazing that you're talking about this. It was amazing how she would explain it. She never said ghosts or anything like that, but she had that feeling of pressure on her and somebody holding her down, like that yeah. feeling.
1: Mm. Oh, it's horrendous.
3: Oh, my <laughs> God. That's serious.
1: Yeah, That's never happened to me, but. You've ne- well, you are notorious for being one of the world's Best sleeper. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess yeah, sleep yeah. Anywhere it's a town. Whoa.
3: Oh my God. Well, I had the most craziest week and I love listening to your show um, on the Glastonbury wilderness area. That's another whole subject that I was I've always been fascinated by. But I just have been thinking a lot about some really wild things that happened and I happened to run into um, a guy from the Marina um, the Marina restaurant down in Brattleboro and about six years ago when I was uh, looking for the the Native American petroglyph site in the West River, the confluence of the West and the Connecticut River. Which we I, spoke about last time, right? Yes, yep. but when I was there, something else happened because on I was there hundreds of times but I was coming in, it was in November and it was cold, but you know The water's still not bad. Mm. And I was coming back in. There's no boats around. I came to the surface. I'm swimming to the surface. And I'm looking, you know, at the bridge that goes over Route 5. And there's like like a sandy area under it. And I looked and I went, oh, these guys are crazy. They always have these floating cows and all these, you know, lake Champy and all these cutesy things around. But there was this alligator and it was um, on the shoreline, a full size alligator. And I went, oh, my God, I can't believe they have this now. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going, oh, that one looks real. though. The others are all painted. So I get closer and closer and it's not moving, of course, because it's make believe until oh, no. I was real next to it and its eyes blinked I went Jeez, mm. what the hell right Whoa. I couldn't believe this okay. so anyway I got out of the water and I went in and the Michael the guy that was the manager I said Michael you've got to see this come with me come with me he goes what what I'm in my wetsuit I just dumped my tank I says come 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 on and so we walked right up to it he goes Jesus he goes I said did you guys put this there is it make believe he said no No, no, no. We didn't put that there. So... It weighed about 150 pounds. He ran back in. He got one of the guys at the marina restaurant, and they got it. But it was half asleep. It was, you know, kind of sleeping because it was so cold, right. and it was numb. So it was just barely moving at all. And then the two guys picked it up. I don't know. Weighed about 150 or so, and they put it. They decided to put it downstairs, underneath um, where the marina restaurant is, because it was heated and it was a big room. And then they called the fish and game, and, and fish and game came. And um, it had been down there for about an hour or so before they got there. So they went downstairs to open the door. And, um, of course, they also put rope around it a little bit. When they went downstairs, it was warm down there, and it woke up. It got came mm-hmm. out of its sluggish state, and it was like chomping, chomping. Yeah. So here we are. Um, the bottom line of this little thing is like you never know what you're going to find. Above water? Underwater, but it was an alligator on the Connecticut River. Whoa! Yeah. So you I've know, actually heard of that. I have you not. Did. So several
2: they, times, I think that's yeah. happened in Brattleboro. Really?
3: Yes, and this, uh come to find out. I asked, you know, later, what, what was the investigation? what would you find out, and they said, well, we found out that there was a woman. Um, I guess her father, her husband died, and they raised it from a little little thing and then when her husband died and she didn't know what to do and she didn't she thought it would be a good thing to put it in the river Ooh. so she put it in the river can you believe that oh my goodness oh my god right? i'm glad it was a summer i know that's Holy a great crap. idea wow. yeah and that
2: reminds me actually I, I, this is probably not true at all i don't know why i remember it but it was like first grade or kindergarten or something it was show and tell and this kid in my class he brought in a piranha that supposedly his dad had caught in a pond somewhere in Vermont.
3: Like, have you ever heard of that? You ever? No,
2: no, no, no. But find out did,
3: what ponds? I'd dive right? in there. I mean, I bit with piranhas, but that was on I'm, the
2: Amazon. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't real, but I've just always remembered that. Did he feed it anything, or, or like? No, like it was mounted on
3: like you know oh, a okay. log or okay.
2: something, a little little piece of driftwood.
3: Oh my god, that's crazy! Yeah. Oh my god. But speaking of alligators excuse me please um this is kind of cool so i don't know if you, if you guys have ever heard of jitty springs florida it's in northern florida it's not on the ocean and it's a really cool place highland springs jitty springs and if you take a look at that then there's other rivers off of that called the swanee so hmm. a number of years ago um one of my friends his uh, brother was uh, one of the divers and instructors for Penn State College, and they took their underwater archaeology students, taught them how to dive so they, they could do these archaeological dives there. So anyway, they were down there diving away, and my job, along with the others that came with me, it was to... Watch the students because they were new at diving and they were in their archaeology class underwater in this fresh body of you know this river. And there's millions of gallons per minute that come out of this, um, it's amazing. And there's deep caverns and unexplored caves. So we're down there watching them, and it was a night dive. And all of a sudden, because I never dove with alligators before, um, I had this alligator come up. Well I thought it was an alley. I didn't see the head, and I didn't see the tail and it was it was over the student and I'm supposed to be protecting the student <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my God, you know, and I'd point to my dive buddy, and I went you know pointing to the the to the it was quite wide it was like i don't know a foot and a half two feet wide, and I didn't know because I didn't see the the head and I didn't see the tail, but my eyes were like you know bonged out and I'm watching the students to make sure they're okay. But it was an alligator garfish. You remember Ooh. how we would talk about large fish, yeah. you know, the largest. Yeah. So this is one of the largest fish, also. Yep. And I'd never seen one underwater. It looks just like an alligator skin. Right. So I said, "Oh, thank God!" Because there's not supposed to be any alligators there because it's rushing too much. Mm. But um, needless to say, the students didn't see them because they were concentrating on like what they were digging up. But I wanted to tell you about that because you we know, talk about alligators and stuff like that. But this, a lot happened on this trip, and I thought I might bring this up. So this man is a medical doctor that I'm with, along with other doctors. Um, his brother is also a doctor and um, at Penn State. So we're down there, and there's one of the female divers, Debbie uh, Jackson, good friend, great diver. So she said, I'm not going to go on this trip. Unless there's no rattlesnakes around. Yeah. So, of course, there's rattlesnakes in Florida, right? But we just joked around and said, nah, there's no rattlesnakes. and Especially <laughs> where we're going to be, right? On the water. So, um, also our first dive, we are down about 30 feet coming up. And the sun was really bright and everything. And I look up, she never saw it. But there was a water monoclon swimming over my head about 10, 15 feet on the surface. And I'm like, oh, my God. Our first day, she can't see that, she'll go home. (laughs) So she didn't see that. But this, so my friend Walter and I, he's a medical doctor, we go out and we decide to go out for a very early in the morning run. So we're just like going down the dirt road and we see in the middle of the road a coiled up rattlesnake. (laughs) Right? So a vehicle came and hit it and it was dead, but it was still, you know, (laughs) So Walter gets this idea to pick it up with a stick and hang it over the fence. Mm-hmm. And we don't tell Debbie, right? But we took pictures of it. And I had a video camera, so I took a little video of it. And we left it at that. But luckily, we didn't see any more rattlesnakes <laughs> while we were on the trip. But when we got back, we gave everybody a copy of the videos and everything. I get this call. You didn't tell me there was a rattlesnake. You know, so you know, we know, You had, were just protecting her. Yeah, we had a water moccasin overhead the first day. And then we had the rattlesnake anyway. And a
1: water moccasin is super deadly, right?
3: Yes, but I've never had a problem with them. Because mm. I see them you up, see you know, far them, yeah. away, but um, I saw quite a few of them yep. while I was there, but Debbie did it. That was the most <laughs> important a thing. thing right? Yeah, yeah wow. that was uh, pretty crazy. So um, one of the things that also happened there that was kind of cool was um, down about 30 feet, I found what looked like an old wallet, and it was wedged under these rocks, and I took it out. And um I'm looking at it underwater and it had a chaperone license, some money in it, and um from the sixties, late sixties and I thought, Oh my god, this is so crazy. So it had all these IDs and everything. So I went um I went to the office and there's like a little place where you can get your tanks filled. And I said, hey, I just found this wallet. And, um, you know, so I called the guy for the heck of it. And he still had the same phone number. <laughs> wow. And he was still, now he owned his own limousine company, right? So I told him how I found it. And he explained how he lost it on a canoe trip. And it tipped over. And how wow. it crazy. And he would never forget it. Oh. And he was, you know, younger. And... um But then he said, where are you? And I told him, and then the last day that we were there, he gave us a ride in the limo. He picked us up and took us to the airport. So that was a good find, right? I
1: was going to ask if there was a a reward, and it sounds like that was the reward.
3: Do you guys ever find a wallet or anything like that?
1: Never found a wallet. Nope. Never have I. I haven't been that lucky, no. Lucky? Yeah, lucky. I feel like you're you're saying that...
2: I've never... I haven't lost my wallet either, so I guess that's
1: good. I've definitely
2: lost That's really good.
1: Yeah. Well, now that I say that... you jinxed yourself. What's wrong? You
2: knock, knock on some
1: wood. Oh, okay. Barry. I thought you were getting in there. Oh, yeah, list. right.
3: He's, that's a good thing. Maybe I should, too. <laughs> I know. I don't want to end up oh, losing my, my wallet.
1: <clears throat> this table right here is a find. I found it on my mail route, actually. A little story about the <laughs> studio table.
3: <laughs> Your table?
1: This one right here, yeah. Oh, cool. We're all that's sitting around.
3: Yeah, so um, that trip was yeah, rather neat, and the way that it ended was probably... The most exciting thing of all, because all of us decided after diving all week that we would take tubes and tube down the river. So we ahead of time we went down. We went six miles down, checked out where the uh, where we could get out easy, nice little bridge, pull off area, cool. That was great. And so we went back and all got our big tubes. So we're tubing down the river, kind of yeah, uh, you know, relaxing. I kept hearing like this plop, plop you know, these great big but That
1: but, happened in, okay, sorry, go yeah, ahead.
3: Yeah, so I didn't Same know what it was. I could tell you, have a story too. I anyway, <laughs> this is my story and I get to hear your story. No, you you <laughs> go ahead.
1: Uh, we're not interested in mine. I promise. Oh, I'm, in, I'm interested <laughs> in your story.
3: But, wait till you hear this. So, I'm by myself with, I had, Three other, three other divers. Not everybody did this. And I'm kind of in the middle. And this time, I kind of heard a of one. And I looked to the right where it came from. And on this high banking, I saw an alligator slither off. A big alligator. Mm. We were like in jungle going down the six miles, right? Yeah. He had this great big pop. Look, see the big alligator. And we're, I'm like, you guys, you guys. Oh, my God. Walter, look, look. This, it's coming at us. It's coming at us. And it was. It was above the water. First, it was under. And then it came. Up and I saw its eyes. It was only about eight feet from me, oh. and then it went back under. And I was like screaming at the top of my lungs. There's nothing we can do. You don't want to go to the shore because there's even more. Yikes. So there's nothing you can do. So I'm on my I'm on my tube, and I'm like trying to hold myself up. You know, like out of the water. I don't know <laughs> what that was going to do. My butt's, butt butt was in the water, but my legs were. But anyway, so um, we're screaming, and I said, "Stay in the center, stay in the center," because it was where it was the most rapid. You know, current. Yeah. We stayed and we locked arms. And we stayed in the center, oh. and we saw the bridge. Bridge. I'm like, oh, God, please let us make it to the bridge. And we and we actually made it to the bridge. Oh. And we got out. But I think the this current is what saved us. So it was a little bit too fast for the alligator. Mm. Wow. But that was our last day. And then the limo came. Anyway. <laughs> that would have
1: been good, easy pickings for that gator, you know? Just a bunch of people in tubes,
3: lazily floating along and just like... Oh. We knew what the bridge looked like at the end, but we didn't know there was six miles of like Amazon jungle between them. Mm-hmm. Right?
2: Yeah, I've been kayaking through the the Everglades, and um, there, you know, there's alligators everywhere. Mm. When I got to the, this little bridge section where you got to get out, drag your kayak down this little, it's like a little waterfall, and there's this huge gator just up top, and then there these dudes scuba or they were snorkeling and they were catching <gasps> something. And they're we're like, there's this huge gator right there. And they're like, oh, they won't bother you if you don't bother them. They didn't care. Really? really? Yeah. Is that really true, though? I, they won't? I get it. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. It seem don't like they they've been eat... there for, you know, they do that probably every day. Wow. They probably eat
3: one person a week and then <laughs> right? they fall and they don't yeah. know about the other one person. <laughs> yeah, they already yeah. have their meal.
1: Just don't worry about them. They're good to go. Oh, my God. That's but, uh, um, I know
3: I wanted to talk about,
2: um, at least event- eventually tonight. Uh-huh. That the the uh the ghost of Sharon Lake in that mm-hmm. airplane sure I wanted to talk about it last week we didn't get or not last week but the last time we didn't get there we don't have to talk about it right now but I just wanted to throw that out there
1: we might as well I mean let's, let's get I mean into if, it. if it's okay with you yeah
3: yes it's one of the most um amazing trips um of a search for a few years of a year and um this could take a long time i'm going to try to give you the short version but let me tell you this: so much more mm. so 78 expeditions have been um out looking for this missing plane 44 of them were made in the united states there were they were um fokker standard universal and it's f-o-k-k-e-r get that <laughs> <laughs> i know it sounds a little different than that but um must be so, german so 44 um i think the man was danish that oh, danish. yes and and um i should know his name but i don't remember it but he there were 44 made anyway so up in northern canada um well actually winnipeg canada there was a gentleman by the name of james a richardson the new airport the new international airport that was built about eight years ago it's a multi-billion dollar airport is named after him and he was the founder of Canadian Airways where um they explored up in the north for minerals and postal helping the you know people up there and so he bought 12 of these workhorse planes um there was the standard one and there was a super one and this um there's none left anywhere in the United States or anywhere but Mr. Richardson um his son George, who was in his 80s, I got a call one day and um, he called me from Winnipeg and he said, Is this an asphalt? I said, Yes, it is. He said, My name is George Richardson and I was wondering if you'd be interested in becoming um, part of a team to look for this airplane. It's the only known one in the world. It was on its way back. There were two of them. Um, this one was a little bit smaller and it was not as um, fast and it landed. It landed safely on this huge lake in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. um, on the uh, Manitoba-Ontario border. And he said, it was my father's plane, and I'm going to show you a picture, he said. I have the picture of my phone right here, actually. Um, My picture with my dad with this plane, it was very, very, uh, um, it means a lot to me. And he said, that plane... Littered, it, it went through the ice and it was held up by its wings. And the two pilots, two incredible pilots, this is an open cockpit plane in December a few nights before Christmas Eve and open cockpit two guys in this plane right can you yeah. imagine and it landed on the ice but it fell through the ice and it was held up by its wings anyway um, one of them was soaking wet he fell through the ice but his friends saved him anyway their food rations were inside the plane but it was underwater except for the wings so he took and um, used an axe and axed and opened on the top he was able to get to it and actually had his um, where he, the pilot seat, and he was able to get in quickly to get provisions, and they were able to make a fire, but they were um, about a mile out. They could see an island, a big island. So they got to the island, um, and they made some, you know, had some food, they had a sufficient amount of food, and they were stranded in the middle of nowhere with very cold temperatures, and the guy almost fell, you know, Mr. McCrory, um, almost froze to death. But anyway, they were there for 11 days and they were on this island and they were able to at least make fire and they ate sardines and other provisions they had with them. And one day, um, what happened was this gentleman, he was a fur trader and he trapped animals and fished. Um, He was a Native American, well, not Native American, but a native. um, And he saw this smoke from a long way away and he went with his dog sled to them and he took them by dog sled to his house for shelter fed them get them you know pretty warmed up or whatever but what happened was they, were, they had this extensive search party looking for them because the plane was very valuable, and those two men were like the most incredible pilots. Mm-hmm. but they were just about ready to give up at Christmas Eve they were flying and this and the, the gentleman, the native Amer- well the native person um, for a trapper, he actually put them in the sled and he was trying he went something like eighty miles or something, and he, he, they were seen from the air. Um, by a search plane, so that was a very happy um, Christmas Eve for his family. But what the story, the real amazing thing is, not only was he um, saved by this man whose name was Tom Belanger, um, he it, it was crazy. They got he got back safely and everything. And then you know, time went on, and this is a really remote area, and there's only one month, July, that there's really a, a, the chance to be able to. to to get in there. Mm. But it's 240-something miles away from anything, so right. there's no way to get it out, right? I looked it up on Google <clears> uh,
2: <throat> Earth, It's it's out there.
3: It is out there. And so this... That,
2: I mean, it's out there. It's out there.
3: <laughs> it's total wilderness. All I saw was um, eagles, and uh, I saw caribou swimming. I didn't see anything else except those things. <laughs> mm. Well, sort of. But anyway... <clears throat> there were a couple of things of unexplainable things that I saw, but but anyway. Um, so what ended up happening was um, this plane, of course, in the middle of nowhere. There's no way to get it out of there, and there's nobody around. So. They a couple of years went by and and they wanted to try to, and snow was really really heavy, so all the the, t- the top of the wings of the plane got covered with all the snow, so it couldn 't be seen by air or anymore anyway so when the they have extensive winds you know seventy mile an hour or more, and I did this whole research. Um, well, I went to see Mr. Richardson first of all I went there to see him and I sat across from him I had never been to Winnipeg and I had never been in a skyscraper and it was his and he's very humble and he's very wonderful and the, this whole family the Richardson family are so humble and great giving people to the community so I didn't know what to expect. Right. So, um, I get there and I get out and there's a skyscraper, the tallest building in Winnipeg, get in, go to the top. And I realized that there was um, a helicopter at the top of the building. That was his. And, um, he was still a pilot and, and still was out there filing, fil- um, flying. So I sat down at his desk, this beautiful con concert- conference room with beautiful Inuit sculptures that were given to him over the years by Eskimo people and um, nobody else was in, in the room it was like this long long conference table and he's all dressed up very distinguished looking and he said hi you very good to meet you and they told me you know how he followed uh, so many years of looking for the West River that's what it um, inspired him to call me that I searched for 30 years off and on to find those petroglyphs rediscover them in the West River mm-hmm. and he said he had been following that and he said if you have that determination you're the one I need and he said I think these 78 uh, parties are going up there looking are partying and taking advantage of the situation <laughs> so I need a woman and we haven't had a woman in any of our teams and I would like you t- and he said I'd like you to search I- I'd like you to lead this team and I said well, I would be happy to. I'd be honored to. And I looked right at him when he told me the whole story of how it meant so much to him and his father, and he was really truly wanting to find this sentimental thing. And I looked right at him. I'm sitting in this big conference room, and I'm sitting across from him. I said, "Mr. Richardson, we." I said, "Mr. Richardson, I will find that plane." And I took my fist and I hammered it right <laughs> on his desk, and it, it was really loud. And I couldn't believe I did that, but I did. And he said. That's the spirit, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." And he shook my hand. He said, "You're the one." Wow. So anyway, um, six of us. We, we had a great team of uh, real good people. Um, six of us. It took a long time to put this together. We had to fly everything in with the otters, beavers, the whole thing. National Geographic actually um, flew up once we found it. But anyway, I'm sorry. Are those helicopters or what, what, how did you, otters, beavers? What? what is oh, that? I'm sorry. Yes, otters and beavers. Otters are like workhorses. They're big empty freight planes. So mm. we had to fly everything there like all of our diving gear we, we brought um, we had this man uh, from this pontoon company he flew up with us the pontoon boat was in pieces he assembled it there um, we made barges we flew up wood everything we needed we had the greatest mechanic guy we we brought we brought um, a an aluminum boat, the pontoon boat. These were all assembled on the spot and it took, I think, six planes to get all of our stuff there and they were they were there for a couple of weeks and we did this for three years searching. I wanted to, because the definition of it as a team, you all work together, <laughs> but I did extensive research on the wind mm. over as long as they recorded it, which was, like, I can't remember, maybe 50s or something, and I saw the prevailing wind every year and what ends up happening is that um what ends up happening is that this wind it it, um the ice is so so thick there and then the ice breaks up and of course what was at one end of the lake ends up at the other end of the lake it flies all over the place depending on the wind right? right so i did all this research and i wanted to start in this particular place with our side scan sonar, but the site but I had five men that disagreed with me and they wanted to start at the other end. So our first year we started at the opposite end of the lake that I wanted to start at. Typical men. And we just kept going, you know, doing It's six miles across in some of the areas. And you have to have calm. You know, you can't have bouncing all over the place with your side scan sonar. We worked very, very, hard every day. And um, when we had really calm weather and we had worked, you know, 10 hours or something, the guys were like, okay, well, let's go back. I'm like, no, we're not going back. We have to take advantage of this nice, calm water. We don't know what's going to happen. And so they, they called me the tool pusher. Mm-hmm. And so I got stuck with that name and they were really, you know, <laughs> it, but it was true. We, we we could have like a couple of days that we, we actually had a tornado when we were there. All this stuff, right? There's so much more I could tell you. Um, we could spend five shows on this, but I'll <laughs> stick to like half of the show. i trying to tell you the fast version here. So anyway, lo and behold, yes, um, I have to say, yes, we do, and we get everything up there. We took a lot of planning. I did all the food. We um, had a lot, a lot of food to feed everyone, Um, and uh, yeah, we... um, it was quite an exciting time and so we kept finding this lake i swear this lake was created by a meteorite sh- strike mm-hmm. the bottom everything was sharp angles all these incredible rock formations with sharp angles so many times it would look like an airplane underwater on the side scan sonar perfectly straight angles we yeah. measure it out we knew that the, it was 40 should be 48 feet for this that And we measured out on the computer, you know, getting a rough idea. And we'd go down. And no, it wasn't. But I'll tell you, one of them that we dove on, as we were approaching it, I swear to God, I was only like 30 feet away from it. It still looked like an airplane. It was so wild. But you know what else is in this lake? The biggest, biggest um, leeches you've ever seen in your life. I swear to God. I have videos of these things. They're oh. like a half an inch wide no. and of course they're kind of chubby swimming through the water, but they when they, <laughs> no. they when they're thinned out and they're yeah. swimming really fast and flattened, oh my god, they're like twelve inches long or more. No. And the fish in this, you gotta remember this is an undiscovered it had never been searched, this lake. There was never any kind of, you know bottom nothing like this done right mm-hmm. so you don't know what you're gonna see right
1: yeah
3: it's many many miles around and now oh my god i can't remember how many miles around i should know that by the my but anyway i don't want to say something wrong so but it's a lot it's very 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 long and it has numerous islands lots of islands so anyway yes these walleye um walleye they're the biggest walleye I didn't even know They were walleye And I know what, I know what walleye Look like from diving in Around here These things were like Everything was like Dinosaur size. <laughs> it was really weird And then it, Oh my god The northern pike They were like 46 inches on the average You know wow. Huge fish but anyway, they were big. Probably from those um, numerous, they were everywhere. The whole <laughs> lake is full of that. Hmm. So yeah, we um, so we search and search and search. And you know, every night we come in, you know, hungry, tired. But we sit down. We'd all get together, have go over all the day. Look, we re- we re- look at um, scans, everything. See, so rule out. Make sure we all, you know, had the day plan for the next day. Now we go the next day. So day after day after day. So it's sort of like mowing the grass. and I'm sure you've heard that term before. Mm-hmm. Um, going back and forth, back and forth. But, uh, we, yeah, we had a lot of really crazy things. Eagles everywhere, all over the place, which beautiful. beautiful. Um, so, anyway, um, I guess I should... There's so much more, so many more wild experiences that happened out there. Um, I would take, even on rainy days, I was looking, and I, I knew it was... They described this island that they came to, and unfortunately, there's a lot of them. But when they described what end of the lake that they landed... I really, really wanted to start at that Opposite end because that's where the prevailing winds would take everything, mm-hmm. and also at that other end, you know, where the prevailing winds would push everything. There's like piles, high, high, high. So it's easy to tell. We found on land, like we'd get off every now and then, um, we had um, a very bad, bad, bad storm. We bad lightning out in the middle of the water with all these instruments and everything on our <laughs> boat. You know, we these things happened all the time, but. Not every day, but we had some, you know, life-death situations regularly. Um, One day we're out there, kind of quiet, but I saw the sky was kind of purple. And no lightning, no thunder yet. And then I hear this, you know, sounds like a, a train, a freight train and I have only been in a tornado once and it was in Kansas City I mean no, not Kansas City the state of Kansas and I saw the funnel cloud coming I'm like get this boat to the freaking shore but where you gonna go right and you stay from on the water or you stay know under a tree I don't know but we saw it we saw it come right up and it went right through the woods for miles and you could see that just the trees it was put this path right through the woods you could hear it like watching trees explode Um, but what happened also
2: sorry is that Cause, uh, it's because it's flat out there, right? It's
3: flatter. Yes, it was very it's like flat. The
2: plains area.
3: Yes, it's totally flat where we were. Totally
2: lots of wood. It, it's not like like our. Uh, no. I don't know what, what you want. The heartland here. It's like full of woods, but it's flat.
3: Totally flat. And it has, like, I think from the extreme weather, and I'm not a a specialist on the species, um, but their trees are shorter than ours. And I think that they're all um, the way they are, and they're all kind of tangly and that kind of thing because of the extents of snow and, you know, probably the growth of studs is sort of because of... the winds and it's amazing it's a harsh harsh territory out there and then the woods are very covered with moss thick moss Mm. like it's about 12 inches thick when you cool. step down you just <laughs> it's like yeah so the exciting thing for me the third year you know we're out looking and looking and it, we had this uh, another bad storm and i said i'm not wasting time we're running out of time and those guys were like you know sitting around looking at scans and things i said i got to go out and do something so i took the um the boat in the rain and i went uh, i don't know a couple miles away from our camp and i i took my my map and my plans and where i thought where i thought that plane would be. I went out, I looked out at this island, this big island, and I looked at it, it was about a mile or so. And then I decide oh, I took my metal detector. Hmm. I have my metal detector, right? And I hear this meh, 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 all over the, where I was, directly from that island. And so I start pulling up all the moss, and what do I find? Provisions, <gasps> sardine cans. All the pro- provisions I had, I had in my research, I found out what they were carrying on the plane for provisions. And I was looking at those things. I was so excited. I'm all by myself there, right? Going, well, I thought I was by myself, but I was by myself, <laughs> I think. But anyway. Uh-oh but but anyway i'm out there with the this and i'm like so excited i get i pick them all up i put them in a bag and um i put them in the boat and i'm writing documenting writing my notes in my journal like what what's going on and what what was there and i go back i'm so excited guys 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 chris we've already done two-thirds of the lake (laughs) we're already almost got time to go home in two days and i know for sure that that is the island. That's where I wanted to start, but they started the other end. Oh, it was the wind that brought it there, right? You're right all along. Well, I don't. I mean, I'm not. Everybody's always right, but I spent so much time You're, looking. Yeah. You're I, being pragmatic. I was so the just, research I was researching all the winds and you know all the weather mm. and we were all over the place in different states and different Ontario and doing all kinds of research in the archives and you know but the wind that told the story it did because it was held up by its wings and it floated around the lake and then when the it came soft it just sank and it soared underwater and unfortunately where it soared underwater it was like um 127 feet deep where only 50 feet away it was only 50 feet deep and it, that made a big problem but the day we found it the day we found it we ended we had to end our, our search and um we were it was started to snow um, you know, it, it was snowing. We're in this pontoon boat, trying to get out um, for us to go back, and um, it wouldn't lift up out of the wind. It wouldn't lift up out of the weight, and and so um, I got out on the on the bars. I was holding, you know, looking around at the floats, just trying to figure out well, what are we going to do because it's just pushing us, pushing us, and if we didn't get out of there, you don't get out of there. You are stuck there. There's no way out. So um, we finally we did. We tried again, and we got out. We were. That was it and I'm looking down it's snow it's windy it's crazy but the following year first day mm. 4th of July we were doing our little back and forth mowing and I'm looking at Ken our you know operator from McQuest up in uh, Ontario Canada um, everybody was Canadian except for me um But Bill, I take that back. Bill Tuma, he is incredible. He found some amazing things. with. um, He's a sub-bottom profiler um, expert along with other things, magnetic um, searches. But anyway, so Bill lives in Toronto, but he's American, but he lives in Toronto. So it's the 4th of July. We're mowing back and forth. And Ken, he is very quiet. He jokes every now and then, but he's very serious. And I'm I was my job was to hold that toe fish in the back and he would yell if there was like something coming up it was up and down like it could be 80 feet deep and the next minute it could be five feet deep because ledge and everything the bottom rock formations like you wouldn't believe very dangerous very expensive equipment we had to pull it up quick if you know so I had to pull that up if he said it's coming it's coming you know so he'd read out the depth 240 feet I think was the maximum depth or you know 52 52 like that and I'm looking at the depth finder and then all of a sudden he could see it ahead and he'd say pull it up pull it up so I had to pull it up (laughs) you know um, and get it on the boat but this one day he, you know, I'm do, do, we're going right along, scanning, and he said, We just went over it. I'm like, what? What do you mean you just went over it? Ken, I run I run back and I look. The screen's empty. There's no plane. And then he said, Well, let us swing around and we'll check it again. So we swung around turned the boat around, went over it again, and then that I was right there and there it was. It was as clear as can be. Hmm. It was the plane i was so excited i couldn't even believe it how excited i was but um it was the fourth of july and i was the only american <laughs> yay right Woo! i was so excited I, it's it's so emotional for me because what happened was i could see we we had to pull in we had to actually have, um, have our friends come out there a special tech team with special tech equipment we weren't prepared we had all of our diving gear but 127 feet deep where we were, that is a te- decompression diving and real dangerous because we didn't have all that equipment. But those guys, the amphibian team do, and we knew them. So they flew out. There were six of them. And then we, um, you know, they they went down and verified what we could see. We could see that the engine looked like it had just like, you know, that it came down, it soared, it probably went uh, engine down and it tapped on the bottom and then the plane just landed there and the glacial clay covered these skis because it was a winter and the most beautiful wood the most beautiful skis you've ever seen after you took the glacial clay no deterioration whatsoever they looked like the day they went down and the other thing that was crazy is that barge that we made we made it so that it would hold i think it was something like uh 1500 pounds pulling up out of you know so we knew that that would be more than we needed except for one big problem um we decided to bring we had a winch and everything we made this is extremely freaking dangerous you guys um we had a winch on this barge we went out and those the amphibian group it was very dangerous they hooked it up because we decided since it was just you know it wasn't attached to the plane that we would um hook up to it and then we would bring that up with great big giant um lift bags and what happened was this was it tapped um prop down into the glacial clay and when we were bringing it up and we knew we had that that rod it would hold 1500 pounds We had it coming up and coming up, and they was staying way back in case it snapped, and we were too. It was, you know, wires, coils, everything was very dangerous, but it, it was almost to the surface, so we left it underwater, and the reason why it weighed so much, it was filled with glacial clay. Oh. all of the engine, all of the holes. It was filled with this, this j Wright engine was filled with glacial clay. Mm. The meantime, though, we'd have a plane, um, you know, come every couple of days over us low and, you know, wave with the wings and make sure if we needed anything, we'd shoot if we found it or whatever. So, um, so we had communication with this. He landed and we said, we found it. Yeah. Don't tell Mr. Richardson, but you got to bring him out here. Please bring him out here. So, Mr. Richardson came the next day, I believe it was, and um, he had his friend, uh, Frank, who was a co-pilot. I guess he was the pilot that day, and, and uh, George Richardson was the co-pilot. Anyway, they there was no place to land on this lake, no place except for one rock, and I'm telling you right now, <laughs> this one ledge, one piece of out of the water, it's the only place in the whole lake, and they... Was so amazing. They hovered over it and had a place the skis, you know, just a certain place, and it was inches on each side. Oh, and in that- a helicopter. Okay, I thought you were talking
1: about a plane landing. Never mind. Sorry, oh, go I'm ahead.
3: sorry, the helicopter. Yep, the, yep. Plane, the planes that land, of course, have the pontoons. Right, they, right, But, right, but yeah. this is a helicopter. You can't land on pontoons. No, okay. But you're right. I see why you were confused. Thought, yeah. You know me, I get so excited, and then I miss <laughs> some of the details, right? So anyway, okay. that's an important detail. Thank you. So um, the audience won't be so confused. So anyway, this is what happened. Mr. Richardson, I got off the, the big barge and went over in the, alone in the boat and picked him up and brought him over to... The barge Because I wanted him To be the first person To see this right So We got him on the barge And he sat there And he said Mr. Richardson Look at this And he looked And he saw the image right And before his eyes We took the engine Out of the water But we made sure Everybody was away From the big cables Including him especially And um, it didn't snap We got it up Onto the barge And the weirdest thing you'll never believe, it had been down there since 1907 or 1910. It still had compression, and we were able to turn the blade, and not only that, the blade was from Connecticut, and it was made there. And Mr. Richardson said, we put that blade on the day they left for their trip, Uh and it was so cool. And so... I was in tears because what meant so much to me, 78 expeditions looked for it, right? And us six people, we were persistent and we didn't give up and we kept looking. And it didn't take as long as the petroglyphs to to rediscover them anyway. But it was just to see, he was so sincerely, he was so happy Mm. for me. Everything I did for preparation, all this hard work, all these years looking, that look was the best. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It so paid off in that moment.
3: Yeah. So it was all over CBC news and, you know, Canadian news. And it was a big, big thing. And, um, you know, just I'm really telling you the short version of this, but we found it in the next year we went and we recovered it. And it was so historic that they brought military helicopters. We got it up out of the water. We prepared it. We flew in an archaeologist that I wanted to have, an archaeologist, to tell us what we should do to prepare the tubular steel, the wood, etc. We did all that, and I was so happy we did. She was awesome, and we prepared it just like she told us. We, everybody, just all six of us, that's our, that was our job, getting it ready to go. And then that look that day, the military helicopters arrived, And they, they, you know, like a sky crane, took it in the air and just stand there and look up and videotape that getting hooked up, which is also very dangerous off the barge, very dangerous with the cables swinging and, you know, static line. Anyway, um, see it go up in the air and it went right straight to um, Canadian, the Canadian... Airways Museum The whole body Of the plane Like wings We had to, We actually We actually had To take it In two pieces yeah. um, Well three The engine and then one part, that half of the plane, then the other half. Mm. Um, and it went right to their conservation area at the museum. And um, right where it took off, 70 years before that. Uh. So I, that was a short version. There's so many other wild experiences I had out there, man. There's a lot of them. How <laughs> yeah, is the condition? Oh, sorry, Nick, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to this is like my all time. Ta- I didn't know about this story. I've, I've I know about several other things that you found. This is like my favorite story. It just—it's so awesome. It's that's like really a movie. Cool. It's just—I
1: know. So
2: it's like you a complete what? expedition. It's just something you'd see on like a the movie or something. Going on in the there, table too, you're like, yeah, no, I know. We're, it's finding, just, we're finding it. That's so I cool. love this
3: story. It was on this show, um, you know, National Geographic, because it was all over Canadian news when it got back. Mr. Just then it was all over the headlines. That's playing because they nicknamed it. The ghost of Sharon Lake because uh, nobody could find it, right? Yeah, right. Seventy eight expeditions. And I was like so excited. But again, for Mr. Richardson, I was so excited. And um so and we became pretty good friends and visited quite often after that. And he said, "You are a tool pusher. You did it, you know." Because I was, they were always making fun of me. I had to jump off one day. I think these guys all thought I was wimpy, you know. I was, you know. But when we had that bad, bad storm, we had like six foot waves. Um, One of our members, Patrick, was. uh, We saw our our um, aluminum boat was um, breaking away from where it was tied with the waves, and so he had on this. this overcoat thing that sort of will also be like um, a life jacket. I don't like them. You're too constricted, or whatever. And it was floating up like he he jumped. We brought it. We went as close as we could. We couldn't get any closer to this little island. He and he got off, um, and he went with the waves to the to the little island to grab this boat that had broken away. And we needed that boat. We needed it so bad for us searching. It's our only other thing. We can't bring the pontoon boat everywhere we need to go. So he he got it and he was in the water. But when he tried to come to go back to tie it, the wa- waves are going over his. Head and his head was sinking down, you know, into his coat, and he couldn't, he was fighting to stay above the water. And so these guys had never seen me, you know, that was before they even saw me dive. And I just, I just looked at that and I said, He's, you know, he's going to drown right before our eyes. We've got to get him. And they couldn't get any closer. So I just took and put my fins on and my mask, and they look at me and they said, Where the hell do you think you're going? And I said, To go get him. He's going to drown. And I leaped off the boat. And I swam over to him and I helped him and we got the boat, you know, I got him back over to the um, on the shore. We got the boat secured and then um, and then he was okay. We were able to get back to the pontoon boat. But that day I think is when those guys they still call me tool pusher, but they you know, I think that they realized that, you know. I wasn't this sure. wimpy little thing. But anyway, yeah, so many other stories to this thing. So, so um
2: there's this movie I like I think this is probably why I like that story so much. There's this movie I used to watch when I was a kid called Restless Spirits about this. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Probably not.
3: I've heard of it, but I don't. It's about an
2: airplane that crashes in a pond in Canada. And this girl, you know, she pulls it out of the water and like rebuilds it. And there's these ghosts and they help her like rebuild this airplane. But it's based on a, a true airplane, a real airplane, historic airplane that crashed. Somewhere, they're not exactly sure where, uh, and it it takes place like around like um. When did Charles Lindbergh fly across? I don't. Oh, this is I think is it was so in ex- the twenties. I is think exciting. it was the twenties.
3: I've got to see this.
2: So, I think it was weeks before Charles Lindbergh flew from New York to Paris. There was another plane that was flying from Paris to New York, and I think it was called the White Bird. Um, and there were two French pilots And they It crashed somewhere It disappeared That No one's ever found it But it's thought to have Come over And then flew over Newfoundland And then people remember hearing Some sort of explosion That came from the sky This this They saw an airplane Trailing white smoke And then it disappeared And they think that it crashed in this lake That's way out in the middle of nowhere Has anyone Have you ever heard of this? I have, I have
3: heard of this as a matter of fact, I have heard. <laughs> Makes about me think of the,
2: the ghost. I
3: I don't want to state something incorrectly, but one of our team members, Bill Tuma from Toronto, he was instrumental in finding three military planes that were down under the ice. There's a book about it. I um the the subglacial ladies, um, but I had the book and I read it, you know, a few years ago, but. Fast because you know, I get so sicked up, but um, bill Bill Tumor was instrumental in the, in that search and found them under under the ice mm. and so I love adventure like this mm. because I love it when the more the people say you 're never going to find it, the right. more determined you are challenge accepted yeah that's what is the name of that again?
2: That uh, I forget t- the, restless? no, no that's, I mean the, that, that's the movie um. About the
3: girl that rebuilds the um plane?
2: Yeah, that's the movie. Um it was mm-hmm. like a Ford TV movie, but it's based on you know, these the, these the two movies. real pilots. And the plane was called the White Bird. White um, Bird.
3: Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that little series. I'm gonna look it up and look it oh, up. Oh, it's a great movie. It's I love so stuff good. like that. It's I a kid it's a kids' it. movie, but it's I don't it's care. It's so good. It's so good. Hey kids imagination, that sense of adventure and excitement. Yeah. I feel like that a lot. <laughs> as you can see. Um, but so so this plane, again, was um, the only one in the world, and it was under the ice, and it was amazing. And they still had compression in the engine, as I said, and it was just an amazing search. There were a lot of mysterious things that happened out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, lots of strange different types of yelling, yipping noises, and all kinds of things. But we were inside this little cabin, and that it was our shelter. And we every night we'd review everything. We'd have a big, big meal, review all of our documents, go to bed early, get up early, and out we went. But... Um, Yes, there's so much more, but that was definitely um a, a major adventure.
1: So how long after the plane went down um did you guys find it? Like yes. how many how many years was it? 3. 3 years after it went no, not after it went down though. Oh
3: no, no, no. It went down 70 years before. 70 years? Yes.
1: And it was George Richardson's like whole life mission to recover it at that point.
3: Yes. I have on my phone right here on my pictures of this I have a picture of him standing by the plane he gave me when he was little with his father. He said he was 13 years old and then um it, it George passed away about I think 5 years, 4 years after we found it. We we go see him, you know, regularly up there. He's such a gentleman and his wife is amazing she was such an amazing person. They're so humble this family and they do so much for the arts and museums yeah. and people they I just can't say enough about the hospitality but how humble they are and what they do for their community. That's the a whole family
1: and he was able to bankroll all the expeditions that were sent to look for the plan as well. it was just him personally doing that
3: um, it was because he it was him personally his own personal money and funds wow. because the plane meant so much to him yeah. and he wanted it found and brought it up and put in the museum yeah. for other people to see. So yes.
1: And is it, it's still in the museum now I would imagine just to, to, to be viewed and do you, do you know?
3: Um, so the condition I think you you were going to ask me about that but the condition of the plane the engine because it was so protected by the glacial clay and all the pistons everything was perfectly preserved it was a J. Wright engine I learned a lot about engine But <laughs> Anyway, so, um, and the prop was perfect. And the skis were perfect in the wood. Beautiful. You should, I can't show you my pictures later. I'm so excited. <laughs> if you're excited about this, you wouldn't believe I'll show you some of my video that nobody's ever seen. Some of these wild <laughs> things I'm telling you about, some of them, and even more. So, I had my video camera with me in the woods, by the way, when I was finding things under the, you know, the provisions. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. There was some very large type of animals there of sorts because you know how I told you that the uh, moss is about 12 inches thick well I did find areas where I don't know if an animal was laying down or it was a footprint or whatever but it went 12 inches down right to the ground from (laughs) the weight of whatever it was but anyway it was a lot of adventures and I have that all in video Um, but the tubular steel Um, on this plane, it was canvas side. Uh, This is a weird thing. This had canvas. Can you imagine canvas? And it was um, coated with linseed oil. Well, Mm -hmm. I thought it was going out of my mind because when we discovered it, we actually had an ROV that got trapped also inside of it. We were really (laughs) this expensive piece of equipment and we needed it so bad and it was caught 127 feet deep inside of a plane. We had Mm -hmm. a lot of different things happen. But this particular thing... When it was down filming The whole plane structure was Covered with some kind of fish You know small fish swimming around it Thousands and thousands of them I'm like what the heck is that <laughs> Fresh water shrimp They ate the canvas off the plane. The only canvas left was like some that was underneath the glacial clay. Hmm. They ate it. So when we found the structure on side scan sonar, it looked like bones. It looked like a a plane with bones because they had eaten it all. It was really crazy. Um, wow! So that uh, the plane itself, the tubular steel, that was compromised quite a bit. That that was weak. Because of that, we really found out that the plane really wasn't manufactured. That part of it exactly said it would be, you know, Mm. the two steel. It's a little bit different. Yeah, I think I saw
2: something. Yeah. So that was video of it being pulled up.
3: Yeah, and that was so sad. I, um, after we pulled, after we got the plane up we, we raised it up underneath the pontoon boat and then we had to slowly go with it to the shore where we could you know use another big um, um, what do you call it we made this great big giant steel barge we carried all that in the planes too with other cable to lift it off the boat and onto the shore and when we did that um, what ended up happening was the 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 Pack of tools that the pilot always has on the plane, it slipped out. So the trail, I wanted to follow the trail, not 127 feet deep, but I did a dive, you know, after the plane was covered up out of the water. And sure enough, you could see, you know, where it was coming across. And I found every single tool that was in the bag that the pilot had in his bag for emergency. <laughs> so cool. that was kind of my last find that cool. day. Yeah. So, anyway. I don't even know what time it is but should I just you want to hear some more adventures or is that enough for the night? I
1: oh, will know I'd love to go on definitely. I just one more question and I, sure. I don't want to harp on it but um in the museum now is um is it reconstructed? Like what what do
3: we see if, oh, if we oh, go to no, so I don't know to tell you the truth when I was there um after it was discovered and then I went back on another trip and did did a presentation I think a couple months later and they had these really incredible um, and there was one guy in particular and I don't remember his name but I have it written down it seems like it was Frank but I could be wrong and um, he was a real specialist in the planes and analyzing them and, and so There was no intent ever to redo the plane, Mm. you know, and have it look like it did, you know, before this happened. But the thing was, um, the... The decision was made and Mr. Richardson thought it would be better if we just if there was a display and it was done enough so that it would show what it looked like underwater like an underwater scene you know that kind of thing and showing that you know it's in the sand or um, the granite clay and and that um, that it was in the condition that it was on the bottom but I don't know I haven't been back um, for several years since Mr. Richardson died so I don't know how far they did get with it
1: I'd, I'd love to see that video of it being pulled out of the water. That's oh, I'll show an you. incredible. I, anytime.
3: Movie. I'll make a copy for you. Oh, that'd be Watch cool. Watch it at That'll your convenience. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about planes and all my life as a child. Ernest Hemingway was, um, I mean, not Ernest Hemingway. Um, um, yeah, Ernest uh, Shackleton. Mm. He was always my, you know, he was always, my hero when I think about how he went back and got all the people none of them died and of course they just found his plane and that was so exciting and um, because it was trapped in the ice and and um, that was just recently. And then also um, Amelia Earhart. Mm. And, um, you know, just what an adventure. I mean, what an adventure for her time, right? Cool. So I really love them. And over the years, I've been very involved. I fly a lot and in helicopters more than planes. But I just love, I love aviation. I'm not a pilot. I don't, I could never be technical enough mechanically. I don't think to be one, but I just love it. I really Let's think you check. should
2: look into that white bird.
3: I I ain't Anyone
2: can find it, you
1: can.
3: I will. It's yeah. Never been, research.
1: Never found. It's, it. No, it's I'll never been found. It. So the and movie is based on a true story.
3: Oh no, that's it too. It's never been found. Okay. Yeah, no, it's I'm gonna never call Bill. I'll call Bill.
2: And if it is found in North America, they would have made it they would have been the first people to fly oh my God, transatlantic single flight.
3: Wow. Wait a minute, this is really, really important Yeah Because
2: And it's believed you, they made it Do you
3: know what part of Canada?
2: Yeah, it was it, it was Newfoundland Somewhere around Newfoundland And they believe I watched some, there's this doc. There's a TV show and this guy went up recently And these people were exploring this This lake uh, It's called Gull Pond Apparently, and they think it might be there They found a little piece of a uh, of an engine, of a, it, they think it's part of an engine. It would have belonged to the same type of plane, but they're not sure.
3: Oh, this is the kind of stuff I like. Yeah. Who knows? I might be back to talk about that. Let's get Tool Pusher on the case. I am really excited <laughs> about this. Okay, we're gonna get. I'll write a few more details down before I leave on that one. Um yeah. I, know, I know it
2: was called. I forget the French name of the plane, but it translates to the White Bird. Um, and I forget the name of the pilots. It was. Oh, i remember in a minute or two probably, but...
3: I'm going to get in touch with Bill.
2: Yeah. No, like, yeah, if, it can, if they if that plane can be found in America... Some people think it, it when it left France, it, it just fell into the ocean there, but there were a lot of people who believed they saw it fly over and then had some sort of, you know, something happened to it while, like, uh, I think they said something about a... I don't, I don't know what happened. I forget, but something happened to it in the sky where the engine blew and it crashed. You know, it had to crash land.
3: This is really reminding me, um, bringing back something, it's sort of relating to my diving work, but it turned into more than that. Do you remember back in 19, I think 1999 or uh, 2000, right in there, that area, there were two pilots that um, came out of Connecticut, they were picking up a family on Christmas Eve, this Christmas Eve thing again, and they were picking them up in Lebanon, and when they went to land, um, the wind was really, really bad there, and the fog, and they couldn't land, and they tried a couple times, and then... All of a sudden they disappeared Do I'm you sorry Annette
1: this? I'm going to interrupt you for a second <laughs> sure. Because I just want to point out To everybody listening <laughs> That Nick is having one of his Famous, famous Charlie horses right now Oh my god Are You okay Nico?
3: Those are the worst <laughs> ever. Oh my god. I never had those before until recently. He, he those are p- painful.
1: I know, I know. He gets one every time now he yeah, comes to probably, the studio.
3: You know, it could be this, you know, the way you're sitting I too. I think it's these
1: chairs, they're really not um ergonomically good for the human body,
3: I think. I'm very comfortable on them, but oh, good, um good. there's okay. a couple there's a chair I sit at that
1: <laughs> creates them. I've heard bad reviews and and good reviews, so I'm just gonna I'm just going to stay. Maybe it's just you, Nick. You're the only per- Nico. You're the only person that's had a major Charlie horse incident. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry.
3: no, no. That's really painful. I never had them before in my life that's until recently I've had it a couple oh, yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah, that's really bad. Not but fun. this person told me this wild thing about salt. That this worked. This was weird. One of my friends, we were to have sushi together recently. Uh, Paul, and he, he was getting them really bad, and he was told by this guy that you take your hand and you pour salt in your hand, and you take the salt and you rub it on into your skin where it is, and it makes them go away. Mm. And so I got one, and I tried it, and it worked. I don't know. You it really it's
1: only got them sitting here, but...
3: Really weird. I know Epsom salt,
1: like bathing in Epsom salt, is good for the muscle Yeah, that is too, well. and
3: magnesium supplements, stuff like that. Oh my God. Well... I can do. I'm a rescue diver um, underwater, but if you look like you're in a lot of pain it, and no, I, I come I, over and try to get you and bring you to the surface of the air, that'd be mm-hmm. kind of weird. But I, I think it's okay. I, I think it's uh, that monster energy drink. Nick. Oh my yeah. god, you poor thing! Oh my god, it, it could so be.
1: There's a lot of um, um, taurine in there, and that's notorious for causing muscle spasms, I believe.
3: Hey, I believe what that. I hear? I just thought of something as I was sitting here, and I think it's your. Cramp in your leg. That reminded me of this. <laughs> yes, um, it, was okay. it, was it was good. It was. something. This is so weird. This is a divey thing. Another divey thing. I'm famous for going from one story to the other. It's okay. We like so that. bring me back if I do that. I again. do want to hear good about at it. Missing, You're good at that.
1: These missing people, though, that you were just talking about. I like the tangents. Let's keep going on tangents and see where we end up.
3: <laughs> well. This one that would be too long, but I'll go back to that. I'll go back to it because this is really wild. But anyway, this is this what I'm going to tell you right now. This is really wild. So my friend who was a Navy diver, um, SEAL, and I, we were we volunteered to do this. Um, survey, underwater survey for this body of water that this town wanted us to do, right? So they didn't know um, the exact depths, the vegetation, the kind of fish. So we, we did this every day. So up above, it, the maximum depth was 32 feet, but it was spring fed with freezing cold spring water popping out. So the temperature was 33 degrees at the bottom, but up at the top, the people that were collecting our samples, it was 94 degrees. So they're up in this aluminum boat sweaty to death we're down in these thick thick seven millimeter wetsuits mm. collecting these samples we come up and you know our our masks are all foggy and everything but we stayed down the whole time we didn't want to go up and down but we would just you know signal when our samples were ready to come up and they would take them up. so these samples were as i said they were you know the type of vegetation on the bottom the kind of siltation we collected soil samples we collected um we took videotapes of the fish so we did this, um, I can't remember how long it took us, maybe 10 days or something. We did every inch of the bottom of this from the shore, you know. And it's this is not a very, very large body of water. But our last day, it's always these last and first days. <laughs> our last day, and it was not good visibility, probably about only like 5 to 10 feet max. So my friend John's to the side. And I'm going along with my light, looking at the bottom, and all of a sudden I see this like wood, and it's only out of the water, I mean, the silt about one inch, and believe me, the siltation in this lake is crazy. It's a pond, I mean. So I see this, and I stop following it, and I realize it's it's a long rectangular shaped thing, like a table, like a dining room table, like eight feet long, and you know, in the width and everything, and I thought... This is strange. So I put my hand down near the end of it, and I said, what is this thing? So I thought it was like a a table, or it would have legs or something. So I put my hand down. It goes all the way down, and it's it's up to my um, armpit, and I'm still under, you know, sticking my neck in it. And finally, I reached what I felt was a wheel. And so I was just really feeling it, and it was a big wheel. And it was a wooden wheel. I could feel it. And then I went, you know, along the side of it, and went to the front, and I felt down and felt like the little like stool, not stool, but st- where a person would sit on a wagon, and I, you know, and I was able. That was down only a few feet, so I, I did mess it all up, and you know, couldn't see anything. But in my light, I every now and then I get a glimpse of it, and I could see it, it was like we're people would sit maybe two people then i went oh my god this has got to be like an old wagon that went up on the pond and they would cut ice right yeah. so i went oh my god it must have like it must have gone through the ice like the plane did right so um weak ice so then i went down again and i'm um, really up, you know, it's under, it's up past my neck, and i am just got my mask barely out of the water, and I felt the straps. I felt the leather straps of where you would normally tie the horse to, right? Oh. So I followed the leather straps straight out, and I kept going and going, and then I felt something kind of a little bit different, kind of cushiony, kind of. So I took my hand, and of course I have wetsuit gloves on, and I just grabbed a big hunk of this cushiony stuff and then I pulled it slowly out of the silt and then I shook it and put my light on it and it was a horse mane. The horse was underwater under silt and preserved (gasps) 32 degree 33 degree water right? Yeah. This is a preserved horse attached to the wagon then I'm like I showed John, I mean, you know, I, was, I, I take his arm um, and of course you can't see much. You have to bring him real close. So, so I bring him real close and I hold up the, the horseman and he goes up, you know, his leg goes flying, lost his light in the silt. Oh. And then um, I, I suggested, you know, let's go up. Yeah. So we're down, I think it was only 16 feet deep, the water actually, where we found this and it was our last day. So we come up, I said, John, that's a wagon, mm. perfectly preserved. Mm. There's four wheels on it. The little place in the front The leather straps are in perfect condition And there's a horse attached to it This is the mane from a horse And he's like holy shit You know and so I said Let's not tell anybody Because they're going to get all in a panic And everything about this So let's just not say anything right now well, we went the next day because we wanted to see, you know, after to settle down if we could see anything else. Well, sure enough, we went the next day and what did we see? These big, giant, long, heavy, heavy poles that they would use for the ice. And it had, um, the blade was attached to it with perfectly preserved rawhide tied around it. Um, we found a number of those and it was the silt was so thick I mean this thing is like Three and a half feet long Four feet long And it was all underwater Except for like A few inches right And so we saw those And then we found this engine And um, and I saw AB on it Abenaki engines mm. right That were manufactured um, In Westminster So there was this And those are valuable And it's preserved It's not even rusty So that was our last day Of our search And um, Where was this? I can't say
2: Hmm. I was going to say I didn't (gasps) hear you mention where this was
3: I don't want to panic anyone
1: is it still there
3: (laughs) oh yeah oh Oh, yeah so I I just can't say because um, no that's fine it's a confidential thing right right yeah because I don't want the people to panic you know fish and swim there like, hey, you're swimming over a dead horse that's been there for a
2: hundred something years. <laughs> right? No, that's fine. I was just—I wasn't sure if you had said said it or not.
3: Old? I bet you it's early 1800s. By the way, that the rawhide was tied right. to these things. That's
2: cool. I'm, it's so cool how much stuff is just under the water. You know?
3: Yeah, it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, I love, love
2: it. to dive, but I am so scared. Oh.
3: <laughs> just you like be even your this one like things that on land to be afraid of.
2: of. I don't know. Like even when I was a kid swimming in a swimming pool, I was like, "There's a shark's just gonna appear out of nowhere." Like I don't know. I'm with people, you, Nico.
3: Well, people there. always say to me, "Oh my God, aren't you afraid to dive down there?" Like yes. you know, I hear that there's giant fish down there. Well, there are big fish. There's mm. you know carp and sturgeon, but they don't hurt you. But the scariest nice. thing of all, is, all is the so
1: imagination. Scary. You know, right. it's like yeah, that's which just is not is knowing. Me, you know that darkness five feet in front of you
3: it's like what i don't listen you guys have more stories that are scary on land i yeah. haven't seen any ghosts underwater <laughs> i guess and <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask you that oh no not yet never anyway. seen?
2: okay that answers that question seen
3: a lot of things but none of those yet and i
2: know when we when you first got here you were talking about Berry. oh my god yes yeah, so let's go what, got, the, what do you got what do you got if we oh
0: anything,
2: my god anything you can Okay, share? so
3: Sure, like I, I love to dive and you know, I think I told you how I did the whole circumference of Lake Champlain last time I was with you guys, yep. it was like over front. 500 miles or whatever. And I did Lake Wagasaki and I did, you know, all these different lakes kayaking around. But then I decided, okay, I'm going to do the long trail, not the, you know, um, I just want to do the Vermont long trail that mm-hmm. goes the whole length of the state. So it starts right on the Massachusetts Vermont border, as you know, sort of down by the glass wilderness area. And that's where you start. If you're going to go northbound and then it comes out, you know, up in the Canadian border. So I did this solo and it was a while back now, let me think, probably about maybe 15 years ago, something like that. But anyway, I did not know anything about these disappearances, or I probably I was mm. too scared, right? I knew nothing. It was this innocent little, oh, yeah, let's hike the laundry. Well, not, let's, I was by myself. So I was totally self-contained, had all my food, had my, you know, tent, everything. And it was so beautiful. It's such a great thing. You feel great, you know, you're hiking you do it like 50 miles a day some days less so if you're in bad weather lots of the rain you might or straight elevation straight up the whole way but what happened was um if it was the second or third day um i had no problem like i i don't stay in the huts if i happen to be near one that was great I would and if it was going to be bad weather rain that I would try to make it there. but I didn't even know if it was going to rain or not because I didn't have any way to know in the middle of nowhere right. mm. I could just do it by the sky so anyway um, my second or third day I'm up on top of Glastonbury wilderness area and of course driving down Route 7 for years and all in that area you know how its you just know how it's just intense I've just seen moose I've never seen anything else but moose mm. but I had the strangest experience. It was a different kind of um, stillness, and it was very strange, like I, it, real weird. It was like it was really, really windy, and everything. Set up my tent, and um, so my routine would be set up my tent, put my you know open my sleeping bag, put it in, jump in, uh, right before it dark, write in my journal, and go to sleep right at dark, and get up at sunrise. Um, but um, I was up all night. This was so scary. It was all of a sudden total silence. Mm. But then I heard things, and and so I'm in my tent. And I'm on my I'm on my knees. So if I'm on my knees and I'm looking straight out, you know, probably what three feet, three and a half feet high, and I unzip my little. I never told anybody this, but because they would think I was crazy. But I'll tell you.
2: I don't think you're crazy.
3: I was looking out, straight out, and there's no light except the stars, right? And I'm on my knees, and I had a flashlight, and I shined it out, and there were sets of eyes, um, and they were about the same height as me, and I was on my knees, so that would be about maybe three feet high, three and a half feet high, something like that, and so I kind of saw the eyes, and at first I thought, oh, it's a pack of coyotes, you know, Mm -hmm. But they were all bright yellow, bright, bright yellow, you know, sets of eyes. And they just were staring at my tent. They didn't move. They were just all surrounded by bright yellow eyes. And so I I got really scared because they didn't come closer, but they were all around me. There was like six, I think six or eight sets of eyes. And so I was just scared. And, um, I thought I was seeing things. I thought I'd been out too long or something and I don't drink on the, when I'm doing the long show. Right. So just water anyway, um, I couldn't sleep because I was scared because I didn't know what they were. I thought it was a pack of coyotes, but the more I thought about it, they weren't moving around or anything. They perfectly there. still. And I couldn't see any image. I couldn't see anything but the eyes. I could not see anything else, like any shape or anything, just eyes. Mm. So um, the next morning, you know, as the sun was coming up, I was so scared again. I, I'm looking out, you know, with my flashlight and everything, and then I thought...
1: <laughs> what was that? What was that? I think that was my mic
3: stand. Sorry. Uh-oh. Oh. Oh. Scared <laughs> me. I'm so scared. I'm, I'm telling you about these and I don't know what they are. And then that happens. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Let me have my coffee. <laughs> anyway, so, so anyway, yeah. And, and then I was kind of like, what are those like? there's got to be footprints or something but I'm afraid to go over there and look you know so Mm. I went over a little bit with you know not without my I mean not with my flesh. I just kind of looked a little bit but I just had the creeps real creepy creepy feeling like I felt like I felt like there was someone there watching me or something it was so weird creepy so the next day um, you know I wanted to hike I, I did like sixteen miles. I wanted to get out of there. Get out of I was so scared. I was hiking fast and this is the beginning of my trip, right? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my god, what am I gonna do? So anyway but did um, you say
1: there were footprints or no?
3: I no, I didn't see any. Okay. I didn't see any footprints. I didn't see any mm, I was kinda scared to print, go. Nothing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. But
1: You just wanted to get out of it. But
3: there. I saw yellow eyes. Whew. I swear to God, it was crazy. It.
1: That's an area that I mean, Nick, you said it's notorious for disappearances, human disappearances.
3: Yeah, well, the next day, even though it was that far, I was still what's considered the Glastonbury wilderness area heading north, and I kept thinking, oh, please let me look out and see um, Mount Equinox, and please let me see, like, look down and see the village of Manchester or something. I just need to feel like something, because mm-hmm. the whole time I felt like the entire time from that night I felt like there was somebody watching me I felt Mm -hmm. like there's something around me I kept looking behind me I Uh. kept you know I was looking up at the trees I just felt like something was with me right but that night I was so exhausted from no sleep for the night before and I did I did fall asleep but um and nothing woke me up no noise or anything And I was so thankful for that. These things, these eyes didn't make any noise. It was total quiet. No noise. Mm. So then um, that was okay. And then I felt so much better when when I was out of that. And I never knew about any of these stories or anything. But this is what happened. I had a lot of experiences on this trip. But I'm just going to say, when I finally reached the end, my friend, the Navy diver, um, because I did this solo... Um, he was such a sweetheart and my friend who owns a helicopter company he knew what route I was going and he has a um, helicopter that's like painted like spider-man red with the <laughs> oh. black and, and the big you know open bubble it's so cool yeah. and so when i was um up in the wallingford vermont area he he flew over and i heard him a number of times but this particular time he saw me and i saw him and i waved and he knew I was okay i found a, um, a crashed airplane on um one mountain um i called it in um i did have my cell phone then and I had it, but I'd have to get way up at the top of a tree or something sometimes or a mountain, big peak. Um, this I is found, on a long trail too? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I found a lot of different things because I went off, I found that because I went off the trail to set up my tent and ran into this crushed plane. Mm. Seem like planes are my thing lately. But anyway, the, uh, when I finished, my friend John met me with a bottle of champagne and he said, I'm so glad that you were Okay. Because I didn't communicate with anyone You know, just that one time I'd call 911 to report that plane right. And the and the letters were on the side of it um, There were no people on it But but anyway, yeah So um, John says to me I'm really glad you're alright My Navy dive friend He said, you know I can't believe you did that alone Do you know that there's a lot of st- strange things that have happened around there and they don't really know why and I said like where he said like that whole beginning in that Glastonbury wilderness area Mm. I'm like no I'm glad I didn't know (laughs) I don't want to know anymore but wouldn't you know about a week later the Boston Globe I don't remember if it was on the front page or not but the a whole page story about the Glastonbury Wilderness area mm. and how the Vermont State Police was formed from all the people that were disappearing there, and there was a guy hiking whatever that disappeared, and that was the mm. formation I don't know if you know. I didn't know that I didn't know that either, but I'm reading all these stories about you know they're interviewing all these people that lost brothers, sisters, or friends, and what they thought there. You know, what their opinions were of what happened. I was so shocked to read what, you know, some of them said, um, you know, how they had lived up there all their life. And, yeah. you know, a
2: couple of I know a couple of them were like, had hunted the area their whole life. And yes.
3: Exactly. Gone. gone. And they interviewed them. They didn't, none of them that were interviewed had any experiences themselves where, they could describe right. except this feeling of uneasiness. So if I ever read that article, I never would have hiked the long trail alone, right. I'll tell you that. But one elderly man that they interviewed talked about, he swore there was a time um, what do you call it? A time a time so, slip? Time, yeah, time slip. Because I guess he did. He did tell how he went hunting up there. This is in his, I think he was in his 90s in this interview. His brother was lost, and his brother was a very experienced hunter. And um, But he talked about having feelings, weird feelings um, up there. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite... It, quite amazing what he had to say in that about he believed that there was a time zone some time different thing and then he talked about you know a woman that hiker it just was very interesting none of them were ever found
2: i think uh, one of them was really
3: yeah but not alive
2: oh yeah out of all of them and it was it was in a lake lake somerset reservoir
3: Mm -hmm. yes
2: yeah it was in there but she wasn't alive it, and it was months, months, months after. And they had searched that area and she wasn't there. And then just like, it was like six or seven months I must later. I think
3: missed that. In that article, it was, you know, a while back. I think back. It, was,
2: it was a college student.
3: But it did, it, it, the title was more, What Happened to the More Than 50 People That Disappeared in the Glastonbury Wilderness Area. More Than 50 People was in that article, the headlines. I got us. What folk. you
1: say, folk?
2: That's what, I mean, that's what I think.
1: (laughs) I know it is what you think. That's why I I know. uh,
3: What do you think it is?
2: Fae folk. Like, uh, fairy fairy folk. Fae folk. I don't know. Personal belief. Uh Uh, Call me crazy. No, you've almost convinced me. uh, (laughs) Like, you know, like woodland spirits, I guess you'd call them.
3: Well, I got to tell you, because of all the experiences that I've had in all these remote areas... I have an open mind now, really, really open mind. Um, I've experienced some very, very unusual things in my last 30 years, and you would not ever hear me say to you that you're crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't experience that, but I have had a lot of... I bet. And you know how you're you're the sixth sense, I believe truly people that are really in tune with nature, really in tune with physical exercise of being outside all the time. You know how they say that we've lost our sixth sense. Mm -hmm. Well, when Mm -hmm. I'm doing Lake Champlain, going around the entire circumference and all these lakes and I'm underwater for hours at a time, you know, I firmly believe and out of water too, that People that are so connected really have a spiritual their sixth sense is really there. And all the senses mm-hmm. that we've lost that we would naturally normally be for fear or hearing, but smell, your sense right. of smell. I could smell balsam trees far, far away before I even got to them, you know? Um, and I could smell bear. Bear, smell terrible. Mm. And I could smell bear because they're smelly. Um, your senses are stronger, I believe, when you're really connected. We have talked yeah, about this definitely. exact thing in connection with faith
1: folk. Yeah. The fact that we're losing touch you know, in, in general because of technology and because of the fact that Absolutely. we're so separated from nature right. that, we're, that we've are that we maybe lost the ability to, to mm-hmm. see things that pe- previous people may have been able to see. Right. I agree Food 100% with you,
3: 100%. There's no question in my mind because when I'm underwater searching, I have a very strong intuitive feeling Mm. and I have found so many things just by, you know, being very comfortable, very relaxed and you're looking at the bottom and you're, uh, you know, like so many times I I was, I had my compass set to go straight, but something was just intuitively saying, go to the right, search there. And I found the petroglyphs like that. Mm-hmm. I have found so many things like that. Rediscover the petroglyphs like that. Yeah. Is there something in it? it it's like, and you don't don't question yourself. Like I used to question mm-hmm. myself and say, why do I feel like oh, I should stick right. to this compass? But then... No, no. it's the intuition. It's, yeah, I'm very, very, very intuitive. I never really knew I was. I didn't know that it was not natural for most people when you start having the conversations. Like, oh yeah, I just knew it. I felt it was there and I knew it and I found it there. You know, they look at you like what mm. you know but it's natural when you spend so much time underwater and in in the woods and by right. yourself you're doing reconnecting this. yourself absolutely i've been connected since i've been a child my entire life i've been connected since i was like in the water at seven years old right. and going down holding my breath down at 20 feet or hiking but playing in the woods and that was my whole life mm. i love it
2: Gonna, I had a story I wanted to tell. Um, yeah, great. I don't, I'm sure it'll be all right. It's it's a UFO story. Is that all right to share?
3: A yeah. story that you have?
1: Yeah. We, we're we going to need to wrap it up after right. this, Nick. Um, and I I noticed it's getting dark outside. And after all those creepy tales, I don't want to send you guys out into the pitch I, black. But um,
3: I don't see any yellow eyes. Yet. <laughs> Not yet. I never saw that in my life. But actually, yeah. and actually, I want to hear your story. About
2: those yellow eyes. So the Glastonbury area i think it has one of the oldest recorded sasquatch sightings in vermont and they they saw eyes but they weren't yellow they were red so i don't know maybe that makes you feel a little better
3: thanks but. yeah because <laughs> they would be really tall and i was telling me these these were things that were only like three feet right or eight of them maybe six to eight of them i
2: know i think deer have like green um eyes shine you said it was yellow
3: Bright yellow. Didn't the dog bright man have yellow eyes? Yellow. yellow.
2: Yeah, I think dog... I think like
3: that shade that you... That lamp shade that you have, even that yellow isn't as bright as those eyes were. Wow.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It wasn't deer. I know that.
1: What's the UFO story, Nico? All right. Yeah. Um, you guys are so much fun. Oh, thank you. I, just, I, you want, want I wanted
2: to... A, I, wanted bit, I w- was going to keep this for like uh, bonus content, but I nope. figured Out since it. we're all Vermonters here... Um, it's a Vermont story and it happened in Rockingham Lower Bartonsville the, where, I'm, where I grew up um, And I interviewed Everyone involved except for one person So I've talked to them all And it took place On New Year's Eve 1989 uh, So yeah I'll get into it So So you got Springfield And then um, there's a dirt road Pleasant Valley Road you can go from Springfield to Lower Bartonsville, it connects. And so this lady was was driving on Pleasant Valley Road and there was something flying over her car. She she thought it was she was being chased by whatever it was. She didn't know what it was. Followed her the whole way. She's freaking out. Um she doesn't want to go home. She's scared to go home. Like she this thing is following her. It's chasing her. She she's She doesn't know what it is. And um so she's driving down Pleasant Valley Road and she she ends up going to to the vet, uh, Vinny.
3: DiBenedetto.
2: Yep. She, so she pulls into there, and then before, so there's a bunch, there's a couple different people involved in the story. So as she and they all kind of converge at the same time. So she pulls in, but before she pulled in, these these other two, uh, what do I want to call them? I'll just call them the bees i didn't ask them if they wanted to be involved or not so i'll just call them the bees and so their dog's really sick that night and they think it, that it might die so they they call Vinny, and they're like what should we do what should we do he's like bring her bring her in you know we'll see what we can do
3: what so time it, was it
2: it was night it was nighttime. it was late it was actually f- pretty late but he he lived at at the vet yeah i think it was it was it was pretty late it was dark it was definitely dark um and he, he lives on the site and he was like bring her in you know we'll see what we can do so they bring the dog in and as they're pulling in uh, Vinny's coming out I guess he's he's bringing another dog to someone or he had just brought another dog out to someone's car and they had left so as as the bees and Vinny and this lady are all coming you know this lady pulls into the parking lot this thing's flying above you know above just above the tree line probably I don't know not good at judging distance. I forget what they said. They just said right above the tree line. So I don't know, 60 feet probably above them. It was pretty big. It was circular and it comes around and it circles the parking lot right over, right over them, circles the parking lot a couple times and then just takes off, like just flies away from them. Hmm. Um, And then they're like, what was that? Oh, you know, they didn't, they didn't know what it was. And they kind of like, they were like, Oh, that was really weird. But, None of them really thought much of it, other than that was weird. You know what? What was that? And then the lady who had been chased, she kind of—I don't—I don't know who she was. Um, I don't really want to talk, ba- you know, bad about her. But she kind of—I uh, don't know—I don't want to say lost it, but she she kind of went off the deep end, and um, she's
3: probably panicked.
2: Yeah, but she went real and she went around saying how she had been abducted and yeah all this great all this weird stuff and uh oh, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened um I know she she ended up having to go away somewhere and then my aunt had went to her house she had, my aunt had like I guess she wanted to look at the house it was for sale or something and my aunt had Sorry. um my aunt had she had gone to the house and she was looking through the windows and there were drawings you know tacked to the wall taped to the wall all over the floor of of these alien creatures they were just everywhere they littered the whole house
3: Whoa. and
2: this lady had said she had been abducted
3: was it in button yeah she lived
2: it, uh mm-hmm. it was kind of like uh, on uh green mountain turnpike road she mm-hmm. lived but and where's she at now uh I, I believe she's passed away she passed away several i wasn't able to, to talk to her um
3: was yeah. there any education? Like, did they see windows and any color, like, going in and out or anything like that? Oh.
2: I think there were some sort of flashing lights that were flashing in a pattern, but they didn't... They, I don't think they saw any... I don't really exactly remember exactly
1: what they saw. I just
2: remember that it was, you know, it flew around them and then they... It just kind of
1: left them. And did they mention, like, the circumference, like, how big this thing was?
2: No, it was... They probably oh, I know at one point I wrote it all down
3: They probably couldn't really see The entire image of it And if there was light inside With you know windows say Those two lights right there put together You know
2: I'm pretty like, sure it was one solid f- Light like the whole thing just kind of Glow to one light and it and then it was Like flashing at one point
0: mm-hmm.
3: I've heard about um, I've heard about this um On Route 35 The going out of Chester um, to Grafton.
1: That's the way I go to work.
3: <laughs> and I, I, um, I've i heard residents of that area talk about this.
2: It might have been the same thing, you know, I don't know.
3: Their um, situation, if I recall, was in like 1990. This, this was
2: in 1989. I'm pretty sure it was 1989 that they said it happened. Yeah, this is... But like, I have no reason to doubt any of these any
3: uh i just Vinny always listen the bees, like. yeah i these are the people that have told me my clients at the time um they were most of them were older people and they were very reputable people and they were very respectful and i you know they confided in me and told me what they saw and um they described it the same except that they also described it having windows um and they were very very all of them don't know each other because i'm very private and i never shared any of my clients names or even that this guy or that guy or that woman saw what you saw Mm -hmm. i just said you know i've heard of it before but um this particular one was you know if you did a straight line you know where the road is at in apartmentsville very close to where you're talking about yep. you know hovering over the vehicle just just above the tree line right in front of them like it was just following them but they it was on the front and as they started down route 35 it just went, they described it like like gone in a second yeah so
2: that that'd be what this did it yeah. kind of circled them and then it just
3: that's what they described and off. they also described the little the the color the green uh light green Mm. and they saw an image an image of in in it like like foggy image because mm. it was on the hill it was right like out their windshield almost you know the same elevation and they described that with the light going in and out light green dark green like that they said and they saw an, an image that looks sort of like tree sticks or something they said you know kind of walking oh. by the window yeah they described that to me well if indeed
1: this is we're talking about extraterrestrials in mm. a spacecraft of some sort that was in this area and if they have access to earth transmissions the internet any way of of like listening in on what we're doing then i want them to hear what we're saying right now <laughs> and to know that we that we're okay with it cuz
2: these would have been if it was 10, 20 years ago,
1: 35 ago. years ago, that's fine. They have fine. to be friendly.
3: They would have wiped us up, I know. You
1: think so? They're just curious. Listen to our words, and um, please visit us, because I've never seen one. I have an I would open love mind. To.
3: I have an open mind. Me yeah, too. I want to. a real, real open mind, mind now. You're <laughs> trying to creep me out. All right, it's dark out. I hope you guys this studio is so relaxing and I uh, really enjoy um, I very really I'm so busy with doing other right. presentations but I'll tell you what. I love this show the way you guys work with together back and forth and you're both <laughs> intelligent and you're both funny and I love that. And um, but I came back and and, uh, but there's only one thing you have to walk me to my car after this <laughs>
1: of All course right, I'll go Nico, you're going go to go too, so. the thank
3: you for inviting me I had a wonderful time Yeah, no, usual. thanks for coming again yeah, thank you awesome. so much yeah, yeah, this has I been had really a great, great time thanks <laughs> thank you
2: and that is almost canon